0: welcome to the Flint Catholic podcast my name is father Tony Smila
1: and I'm Michael hasso
0: and we're here at the interview uh, the interview episode today we've got Michael Haggerty with us uh, so uh, please say hi hey guys I'm glad to be with <laughs> you so Michael is part of the uh, the Latin mass community here at st. Matthews and uh, the Latin Mass takes place every Sunday at 3 p.m. Uh, I'm often the the principal celebrant for that which is a, uh, a fun honor that I get to have and uh and I really enjoy celebrating the Latin Mass, so we thought we'd talk about the, the Latin Mass today. And in the first half of the episode, we talked about a lot of the saints. Uh, we, we talked about the saints that uh, influence us, or, or the saints that just have really cool stories. And now the Mass that we're going to discuss is the Mass that they would have experienced for, uh, for most of church history, that's the Mass that we've, we've uh, had. And so uh, to be able to have even a historical um, piece here with us today, uh, is something neat, but there's something so much more about it as well. And so that's why I wanted to bring, bring you in today and, and to talk about uh, the Latin Mass. So for those who don't know, what is the Latin Mass, the traditional
1: Latin Mass? Well, I would say that probably, first of all, it's uh, the patrimony of our fathers is probably the, the primary description that I would give it. It's the thing that the, the church has handed on to us. And, of course, you know, a lot of people that are uh, fans of the Mass will call it the traditional Mass, which, you know, is kind of like, it's not an entirely uh, all-encompassing term, but I think it, it satisfies a, a, one of the core reasons why a lot of people are uh, attracted to it, and that's because uh, tradition, of course, as we know, is, uh, you know, it comes from this Latin word trado, which means to, to give or to pass. And so, um, you know, what the the ethos of this Mass or the, the ethos of this worship is really uh, to pass on that which the Church has received. And, you know, St. Paul talks about this in, in his letter to the Corinthians, right, when he says, uh, you know, I've, I pass on to you that which I also received, right? And this is this Eucharistic worship of the Church is something that's central to her liturgy. And I would say that, you know, if I was going to describe the uh the traditional mass or the 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 latin mass as it's as it's colloquially called uh in one word i would call it uh it's a patrimony and the the music itself uh the 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 gestures uh, the symbols that are used all of them are passed on right and i think this is kind of uh something that's um that resonates with uh, a lot of people especially among the younger people because there's a you know you're in uh, in the culture of, that's around us, I would say, you know, there's um, so much is uh, we're always lusting for the new, mm. and so there's a, it's almost like a countercultural thing to reach back to what, you know, grandpa or great grandpa, the way that great grandpa worshipped the group, you know, and I would say that I guess in, at the core, you know, how I would describe myself as a Catholic, is uh, you know, I. I, I desire to believe as my fathers believed, to worship as my fathers worshipped, and to pass that belief and in worship intact to my children. So uh, that's kind of how I would describe it in a one-off. Yeah.
0: Uh, I totally agree with all that, and especially with uh, how many young people actually show up to the Latin mass? That's something that that immediately stuck out to me. Um, how many families are there? How many kids are there? There's crying all over the there's place. A lot of and there's <laughs> a lot of babies in there, which yeah. is fantastic. And so and so do you think that that's why um, that the young people, uh, it's fascinating that I've never heard um, that particular argument for it that there's so much new out there that we're searching for something that's not new. Mm-hmm. Um and I really like that argument. I've never never heard that before. I'd have to to munch on that for a little bit. It could have been the Holy Spirit. I didn't think of that before now. So That's that's pretty good. That's, pretty <laughs> that's great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I think that was the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, we totally are, right? We're there's something timeless about that mass. Mm-hmm. Something timeless about worshiping in that way. Mm-hmm. You know, because that was the Mass of the Church for, you know, over a thousand years. You can't really pin it to a, a certain time or a certain place. Mm-hmm. And so there, there is a timelessness to it um, that's really attractive, I think. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really
1: beautiful. So what is the history of the Latin Mass here at St. Matthew's? So it, we actually didn't originally uh, have it at St. Matthew's. We were originally at All Saints Church in Flint. <clears throat> and we were there until 2015. So in, uh, in 2015, we moved uh, from All Saints Church to St. Matthew when the Augustinians departed. Uh, and St. Matthew became again a, a diocesan parish. But long before that, uh, basically the, the origins of the community go back to uh, 1989. Uh, and really, if you, if you want to go back even further, 1984, when uh, now Pope St. John Paul II uh, wrote his his uh, motu proprio uh, Ecclesia Dei, and uh, he Ecclesia Dei ad Flicka, sorry. Sorry, um, but uh, the the purpose of his writing, of course, was the division in the church that had happened, you know, since the '60s. You know, you mm-hmm. you essentially had a two. The church had divided into these two camps, right? You had the the kind of what were viewed as the liturgical progressives and the conservatives, who kind of gained the moniker of traditionalists. And uh, Pope St. John Paul II didn't want this to continue, right? He wanted the, the, the two sides to reconcile. And so he issued this uh, encyclical, or the, sorry, this moda proprio, and his, its purpose was uh, he basically admonished the bishops of the world to try to meet the aspirations of these faithful who had uh, an attachment to the prior rights of the church. And what's interesting is that, of course, he was, he was speaking more to the elderly right? The people who had grown up hmm. with this mass, the people, right, who still had an attachment to it. We're talking about the people that grew up in the 40s and 50s. Um, and so he, he, he wrote this for them. And it took, uh, there was a small group of faithful in, in Flint area, who, who kind of uh, banded together, and they formed what they called the, the Flint Coalition in Support of Ecclesia Day. Uh, and so what they did was they were basically uh, organizing, kind of at the grassroots level, right? This wasn't a priestly movement or anything; it was a movement mm-hmm. among the laity to try to reestablish something in the diocese of Lansing. And so that was granted in 1989. And uh, our first home was at All Saints, and we were there for, as I said, almost uh, you know almost 20 years. And then uh, we moved to St. Matthew's at the bishop's request in in 2015, uh, and um, we've been there ever since. And to be honest with you, I think it's a it's a great Venue, if you want to call it that, the the church is built for it. In other words, right, it was designed for this mass. Yeah. Uh, architecturally, right, the um the the dome in the back of the church perfectly reflects singing. You don't need any microphones or anything like that, right? The uh, so from that perspective, you know, the church makes sense as a home. And I think the bishop had this in mind when he asked specifically, "Hey, can you guys move to?" To St. Matthew. I think his purpose was, uh, you know, the church is built for this. It's a central location. It's a perfect place for for you guys to call home. Yeah. And so we've been there now for almost six years. Yeah. We moved in July of 2015. So that's kind of the history of how we got here.
0: Awesome. Yeah. And if you've never been to St. Matthew's Church, uh, do yourself a favor and come down and check it out. It is a beautiful church right in the heart of downtown Flint. Beautiful church. So yeah, to, and, and I totally agree. It's, it's kind of, it's interest. The first time I, uh, uh, was up there and started chanting and cause I don't, you don't have microphones for the, the traditional Latin mass. They didn't invent Mac microphones back then, right? <laughs> they did, they did it the old way, which is cool. So like I started chanting and just, you can feel the, the, um, just however the science works, the, the sound just blasts behind me. Mm-hmm. It was really cool to, to experience that as a, as a celebrant start chanting and, and and i can hear the sound traveling all the way to the back end of the church and back it's oh, yeah. really fascinating uh, and then of course having the gregorian chant over top with the uh, from the choir loft is just yeah mm, so good
1: it's so a, good. it's really incredible i mean the the architecture of the church is built for it you it know is. and it the, is. like you said that having the Skola chanting up in the choir loft you know you basically you have no artificial amplification right. or microphones or anything but uh, being in the pews right the sound comes from above you Actually, just yesterday, in fact, uh, I don't know if you uh, heard the the ladies were singing. So we have uh, a men's menscola, which does all of the chants for the for the proper what are called the propers of the mass. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, uh, and that's it's not necessarily that women can't chant. It's just that uh, traditionally it was always priests actually that chanted. There right. were always clerics that chanted. So we kind of retain this custom in the sense of having men chant. And then, uh, but we have a a kind of a supporting group of uh, ladies that sing as well, and they help out with the hymns, and they do some harmonies and some other stuff. And just yesterday, in fact, uh, my uh, my third daughter, Natalie, was sitting next to me, and uh, she heard the ladies come up and start singing at, you know, they were doing a harmony, and she looked at me dead serious. She's three years old. She looked at me dead serious and said, Dad, are there angels here? (laughs) <laughs> that's amazing just, just oh because gosh. you know the the sound of course she can hear these beautiful women's voices singing but she, from her perspective right it's coming from above her uh-huh so it's just interesting from a child's perspective you know kind wow. of reinforcing that idea that wow it it sounds like it's coming from above you
0: mm-hmm. yeah
1: <laughs> that's so cool oh my goodness
0: so we've discussed a few of the differences so what are the the differences between uh, the latin
1: mass and the mass that many of us are familiar with yeah, so I guess uh, to kind of give a little bit of an introduction, um, when I first uh, when I first came, came to a what we call I guess the Latin Mass uh, was in two thousand thirteen, and the first time I went to it, I actually did not like it at all. I was very I've, turned off by it.
0: I've heard that from a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, which makes me wonder. There, The church is filled on Sundays. It is one of our biggest attended masses of the weekend. Mm -hmm. But almost universally, I've heard that, Mm -hmm. which is weird. So tell, yeah. So keep telling. How did you come around to it?
1: Yeah. So the first time I went, I would say, in kind of looking back at it, you know, kind of hindsight's twenty twenty. But it's a little bit of a culture shock uh, because it the the culture of the worship is different. Mm -hmm. You know, it's sort of like if you've ever been to an Eastern Rite divine liturgy, right? You walk in and you're like, you know, what's happening. You know that it's the divine liturgy, right? But uh, at the same time, you're like, hmm, this is much different. I don't know. I'm not comfortable with it, right? Uh, the The circumstances are different. The way people act or pray are di- is different than what I'm used to, you know? So it's a little bit of a culture shock at, sh- at first. And uh, so I would say that my first experience, right, I go in and, and the first thing that I would say the casual observer sees is that... Uh, Number one, of course, everything's in Latin, <laughs> mm-hmm. yep. except the homily. Don't worry, the homily's in English. Um, and so, of course, there's this veil that's placed over the Mass because the language is different. And that, that's how I would really describe it, is there's a veil. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a similar way, uh, there are long periods of silence, Yeah. right? Especially during the canon when the priest is praying. And, uh, you know, that can be quite a turnoff because, uh, you know, a lot of people— if they're, if they're accustomed to the ordinary form of the mass, what you're used to is like your idea of participation, uh, is I need to follow with the priest. I need to understand everything he's saying, and I need to internalize everything he's saying, right. And be right there with him step-by-step as he's walking through, uh, the prayers of the mass, specifically the Eucharistic prayer. And, um, you know, uh, the but the ethos or the, the kind of uh, the foundation of the traditional mass or the the division of actual participation, or what we call in Latin participatio actuosa, which is what the Second Vatican Council asked us to do. Mm-hmm. Right? They they in their constitution on the liturgy, uh, what they were really pushing for is they want the faithful to internalize and understand and make and live the liturgy. Right. Right. And. Uh, and, and I would say that this uh, this silence in this Latin, and the fact that the priest isn't facing you the majority of the time, right? It, it, all of that can be kind of a culture shock when when you're kind of uh, your understanding of how you participate right, as a member of the body of Christ, how I participate in the liturgy, it's quite different than what I'm used to. And so you feel like you're not able to participate, mm-hmm. right? You feel like you're outside looking in, more or less. And I would say that this was probably my first experience. And, uh, and I would say this is probably universal, right? A lot of people, when their first couple, even first couple, two, three times that they go, they're they're struggling to try to understand how do I participate, right? right? Because uh, a lot of people unfortunately kind of come away from it with this feeling that uh, they're a they're they're an onlooker or they're just uh, a spectator in what's happening. They they can't take an active part. And I would say that the the spirituality of the traditional mass is interior, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I would say that uh, you know this interior worship is something that's difficult for people to, uh, to, to kind of come to terms with because it's so foreign, you know, we're, we're used to, uh, kind of being fed. If you want to, if you want to put it that way, it's like you're fed kind of, uh, uh, mushed up food in the sense that, um, you know, it's very easy to get into that place of prayer, very easy to get into that place of contemplation and participation in liturgy. Whereas with a traditional Mass, you kind of have to work at it, to mm-hmm. be honest with you, right? Like for speaking to my own experience, um, you know, having a bunch of children at Mass makes it incredibly difficult to pray, right? But one way that I've kind of overcome that is uh, I have, I've memorized me- much of the prayers of the Mass. And I can be holding a baby and shushing it right? At the same time that internally I'm just living it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I would say that this is probably uh, the, some of the primary differences that people would experience when they first come in. All of, there's, there's these numerous veils, essentially, right? The veil of uh, Latin, the veil of silence, uh, the veil of the priest not facing you, right? So it, it all kind of like uh, shrouds the liturgy in this kind of sense of mystery. Right. And so you're not really sure how to grapple with that because it's not it's not in your face. In, the, in other words, right, it's not right before your eyes. You kind of have to dig for it a little bit. And so I would say that that's probably um, most people's first experiences. So it can be a little off putting. Right. But you, had, you kind of have to one of the reasons why I went back to it. Uh, you know, and I, w- there was a few months between my first and my second visit, I would <laughs> say. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, one of the reasons that drew me, drew me back to it though, was that there was just this, uh, there was this, uh, I, anything I couldn't describe it by any other word than, uh, like a, a calling, you know, that it was, there was something transcendent there. Yeah. Because uh, what I noticed most of all about the mass, and I would say the most attractive feature of it is that uh, it's sort of like Gothic architecture in a sense. Gothic, you know, when they built churches in the in the Gothic era, right? The idea was to draw man up, right? And mm-hmm. so they have these massive spires. If you've ever been to churches in Europe, they're built this way. You know, this this medieval Gothic sense, and I think this spirit, same this same spirit, kind of in, in, imbibes the liturgy a little bit, um, and so uh, this draws it wants to draw man up. If you want to talk about it this way, some people describe it as horizontal versus vertical yes. worship. Yep, right? I was
0: actually going to bring that very point up. Yeah, yep. yeah,
1: exactly. So, in in the one case, and I and I don't want to disparage one versus the other. <laughs> what I want to say yep. is the one case, horizontal worship, is like where we're trying to um, help God come down to man's level, right, and meet 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 man where he is more or less, right? And, that, and some people need that, to be yep, quite honest with absolutely. you, right? People who are are, uh, are infants, spiritual infants, right? Or people who uh, uh, don't necessarily internal or internalized or interior worship doesn't really resonate with them, right? Or doesn't really feed them, right? Horizontal worship is perfect for them, right? Because it enables them to get into that place of prayer, enables them to encounter the Lord, right? In a real way. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to disparage that. Um, but at the same time, kind of on the opposite end is what I would call this vertical worship, which has kind of been uh, what the church's practice has been for a long time. And this is that uh, she wants to she wants to take man and pull him up to God, and rather than trying to bring God down to man's level. Um, and I would say that the, you know these are two approaches to prayer, right? And neither are neither are wrong, right? Correct. Correct. Um, and I would say that uh, for me personally. Uh, the vertical approach to prayer, if I can call it that, uh, has been a great challenge to me. And it has grown, uh, I would say, has had a profound impact on my ability to uh, to pray. And, and I don't mean necessarily pray in the sense of, you know, words. I mean, pray in, in, in the sense of, uh, uh, you know, kind of the way the, the author of The Cloud of Unknowing puts it. I don't know mm, if you ever read that oh book. Oh, yeah. But uh, he says that, you know, your God cannot be known or grasped by your intellect right? Mm -hmm. Your God can only be grasped, uh, by love. And so the only way that you can really reach out to God is to pierce through that, that dark cloud of unknowing, right? With a fiery dart of love. Mm -hmm. And, in I would say that this, uh, this mass, this liturgy, right? This vertical worship is, helps me to perceive that, right? And to enter into that and to, to pierce through the cloud of unknowing, if you want to call it that, right? And enter into the Lord's presence in a, in a very real profound way, in an interior way. You know, um, so yeah, I would say uh, that was a really long-winded answer. Oh, that's but a good one. Sorry, I'm just rolling now. <laughs> you are. <laughs>
0: so what I what I love about um, the church, just the church in general, is that the church is really big, a lot bigger than people think. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so many different ways of worship, so many different ways that God wants to reach us. Mm-hmm. And you're totally right. I think um, not only different people. Um, respond different ways. I think at different times of our lives, we need different things. Mm-hmm. So there are times where, you know, I would need, I do need to, to worship, um, in that transcendent manner. I, I need to get to that place and, and to be challenged in that way. There are other times in my life. Um, and, and I go back and forth all the time where I just need to like, I need, I need that, that horizontal worship. I need the people around me. I need, you know, the praise and worship going sometimes praise and worship. I, I need that in my life. Um, cause I'm having a hard time praying on my own. Um, so, I think all of us at different points of our life, we need all of it. And, um, knowing that this is available, I think is a huge, huge blessing. Um, and so I think my encouragement to, to anyone listening is if you've never been to this mass, come try it out and just, just show up, be open, um, follow the red book. There's a red book you'll yeah. be given. We'll talk, we'll talk about that a little <laughs> bit. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, one thing that this community does well is is they welcome you in. So they'll they'll probably notice you're there, and they'll and if you need help getting through it, and say, hey, where do, what do I do? Where do I, you know, when do I stand? When do I all yeah, these yeah. things? They'll help you through that. The practicalities. <laughs> that's right. You won't stick out. I promise. Yeah,
1: so. yeah. And we, we and honestly, we we're pretty welcoming. And like and yeah. like you said, um, you know, the church is is a lot. It reminds me of the patriarch Joseph. In his coat of many colors, right? So his father gave him a coat, a beautiful coat of many colors, and the church is like that coat, Mm -hmm. right? And Jesus is Joseph, essentially, and so the father gives to Jesus this beautiful coat of many colors, all different nations, people's tongues, right? Uh, In all different spiritual experiences, and you see in the wisdom of the saints, right? You you can read Saint Augustine, and you could read Saint Thomas Aquinas, or you could read you know Saint John of the Cross, right? Two you know you have kind of like the intellectual tradition of the church, or you You can read Matthew Kelly. Yeah, exactly. Or you can read Matthew Kelly, right? But it's all—it's all, uh, it's all um, you know. God gives uh, according, gifts accordingly, right? Mm-hmm. According to His will. Exactly and so right. I would say that, uh, you know, the traditional liturgy and the uh, people see in this that even the authorities of the church, you know, Benedict Sixteenth and, and others, right, one of the his motivating factors in, in terms of trying to liberalize the mass in the sense of getting more of them out there mm-hmm. was that, you know, he perceived that there was a, a good for the church in this, yeah. right, that he, if you ever read his, uh, when he was Joseph Ratzinger, of course, uh, if you ever read his book, uh, The Spirit of the Liturgy. Oh, one of my right. favorites. Yeah, he talks about this, uh, I think he talks about this idea of horizontal, in, in vertical worship I think that's maybe where I got it from. that's uh-huh. not my idea but <laughs> um, you know his, uh, his understanding of the liturgy as as uh, you know the whole body of Christ in union with its head with Christ. Uh, offering to the Father this this perfect act of adoration and praise, you know, in being able to enter into that that worship, I think the the popes and, and the other church authorities, the reason why they kind of foster and and want these masses present, even Bishop Boyer, you know, he's he's basically uh, structured his dio- diocese in such a way that each major city has uh, mm-hmm. a traditional mass in it, and he himself, you know, has celebrated uh, the mass according mm-hmm. to this form uh, many times. Uh, even for us you know um, and I think the reason why they do this is because they see that there's a there's a vitality or or there's a, there's a, a benefit for the church in this and that uh, the people are brought up right in, in edified in holiness yeah. from it and so uh, yeah there's there's uh, and of course that's not to disparage any other means of uh, sanctification Exactly. But, but just to say that uh, you know it is in even benedict's own own words you know it's a it's a special gift for the church yeah. And what was holy for, for those who came before us is, is is still holy for us today. Exactly.
0: I think that's an important point to make, actually, and I'd, I'd like to take a step back just to, to make that point even more. Um, none of this is to disparage any, any other form of worship in any sense, you know. Um, unity is the goal here. We want to be unified with all of the other Catholics and all the other Christians that worship God. We want that unification. We, you know, we pray with Jesus that all would be one. And sir, uh, the the expression of worship is going to be different in that sense. Um, but the Mass is still the Mass, and mm-hmm. and so there's, you know, we don't. The idea is not to create division and to put up walls and and tribalism and all of that. Like that's not the point at all. None of that. None of this is, is to, to do any of that because we know that that's all bad and it mm-hmm. all just creates division and it creates bad things. Um, but this is to, to, in fact, open the doors even wider to a wider form of worship and a wider form of, of, of um, praising God. So that, mm-hmm. that's what this is all about. It's not about
1: division. And I, I I couldn't echo your sentiments more. I mean, when you uh, uh, division ultimately comes from the enemy. That's exactly right. right? And uh, we're a lot less effective if we're divided mm-hmm. uh, than if we're unified. And the enemy knows this, yep. right? And so, unfortunately, he'll use any tools at his disposal in order to drive division, uh, even things that appear to be holy. That's right. Right. And this is, I guess, it's a lesson from Saint Ignatius of Loyola, right? Is that your enemy uh, n- can make good things. Bad, essentially, yeah. and,
0: and I think he would particularly <laughs> go after these things that that are holy. Yeah, part, in particularly why he wants to do it. So, so don't buy into all that stuff. Um, that's not what we want to do here. Yeah, that's
1: not what it's about at all. And I would say that you know when you walk into the into the church before mass at three o'clock, what you typically find, if hopefully one of the ushers is looking out for it, for you. But, uh, you know, typically they'll see someone that doesn't look familiar because we usually know most people mm-hmm. um, just because you get to know people, you know, right. after a while. And we're, we try to, to build pretty tight community, to be honest with you. Uh, that's kind of one of our goals as a community is that, uh, you know, we don't um, we don't want it to be that people are, are coming. And, uh, you know, it's just I need to fulfill my obligation and leave. Right. And so we try uh, historically, you know, before COVID stuff, right. Historically, we, we always had potlucks every quarter, um, you know, and a lot of the families see each other outside of school, if you want to call it that. Yep. Uh, right. And so in the, the purpose of that is that we recognize that, uh, you know, the, the to be one together, one in the Lord is what uh, Father Mahdi always used to say. You know, togetherness and, and be, oneness in the Lord yeah. is important to us, right? And we and we want to foster that and, and uh, emphasize that. And so that's why we're kind of looking for new people. Uh, and if we see someone new, typically we'll, we'll offer them, you know, the worship aid, which is this piece of paper that has everything on it that you'll need for that Mass. It's got all mm-hmm. the music and everything. Uh, all the prayers and stuff that changes every day, and then the, uh, we'll offer you a red book, right? Everybody yep. knows the red books, uh, and even that's... even the priest uses the red book. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that would be me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's, uh, I mean, and those are those are aids, right, in worship. In um, and so typically, and then we'll sit someone down with an experienced person. I've, I've sat next to uh, new people many times, right? And they'll just get set, sat next to me. And then you just kind of whisper in their ear what's happening and why. Right. Um, So that's typically how I do it. I mean, it's a little disruptive, but to be honest with you, there's such a culture shock. They're probably not going to be able to pray much anyways. Sure. So, (laughs) yeah, you're just sitting back and experiencing at that point. Yeah. And honestly, that would be my advice for anybody. that's If Mm -hmm. if it's your first time coming, uh, I usually advise people uh, to put the book down. To not even look at the book. Don't worry about the book. Don't worry about what the priest is saying. I know that you feel like you're not participating if you're not paying attention, but really you're trying to uh, kind of soak up what's happening because, you know, even the, you know, the Gregorian chant, uh, it's a beautiful spiritual music. There is no other music in the world like this. Yeah, And it's really, it, it too is a patrimony. It's our, it's our musical patrimony from the synagogue, from the temple, right? That has been kind of, uh refashioned in Rome and refashioned in Northern Europe, right, and and taken on these Gallican elements, and then it became what we have today. And so this Gregorian chant really is like the organic development of sung worship, right, inherited from, you know, the earliest times from David, right, and passed on to us, essentially. And uh, you know, this music is designed for the liturgy. It's used nowhere else. Right? It's used purely for worship. Is the, you,
0: the Church calls it one of the greatest treasures of the Church. Yeah, like that's The Gregorian chant is one of our greatest treasures,
1: yep. which is cool. Absolutely, and, and I think you're probably referring to uh, Sacra Sanctum Concilium, right? Yep. The the document of the Second Vatican Council where they specifically say, you know, Gregorian chant has pride of place yep. in the Roman liturgy because it is the music yep. of the Roman liturgy. And uh, I would say, you know, even Paul VI, uh, you know, with the, the promulgation of the New Missal in 1969, he gave a speech... Um, where he said, you know, that one of the, one of the saddest things for him in, in, in promulgating this missile, because there were a lot of advantages, right? Because a lot of people mm-hmm. had a hunger to be spoken to in their own language. They had a hunger for, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, something that was a little bit easier, a little bit more accessible, right, mm-hmm. to, to the average Joe on the street. And, uh, but he said uh, one of the one of the things that made him sad was the loss of Gregorian chant yeah in in so Paul the sixth even you know because he recognized in, in this music as uh, you know this great spirit of prayer that he felt was uh, would be diminished and ultimately it was you know but other music forms came into its place uh, so it's not like we lost music entirely in the church right. but um, you know in uh, late father Mahdi who who used to be our chaplain for for four years he just passed in December. But uh, this Gregorian chant was actually what brought him back to the traditional mass. Mm-hmm. He was ordained in, in 1968. And uh, so, he, of course, he was formed in this mass. Uh, in fact, he told me that when he was in seminary, they had to memorize the entire Roman canon. They had to be able to say it from memory. Oh, my goodness. I can't even imagine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, I'm just trying to read it. <laughs> Father Tony's like, I'd be out. It's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of work. <laughs> um. Yeah, it's kind of interesting, but it's it, there's so many things about that man that were really interesting. You know, he when he would pray the canon, he'd have his eyes closed because yeah. he would remember all the words. Sure. It was just ingrained in him. But, uh, you know, and then of course when the new missile came out, and he came to the United States in 1977, and was cardinated in the in the diocese of Lansing in 1980, and uh, you know, in the in the late 90s, he was a university <laughs> chaplain in at Calgary in Canada. Don't know how he got there. But, <laughs> uh, but in any case, there was some students from the music department who, who came to him and said uh, they, they knew he was the Catholic chaplain. Right. And they said that, uh, you know, they, they were studying medieval music. They were studying Gregorian chant. Uh, and they said they, they wanted to, to see this music experienced in its proper context. And they said, hey, you know, Father, we, we know that you were ordained in 1968. We know that you were taught how to say the mass uh, the old way, is mm-hmm. probably you know, and uh, and we we would like to do this. And so that was the first time he came back to it. So it was really Gregorian chant that brought him back. And he's, you know, uh, he said that the the flood of hearing that music again, mm-hmm. you know, for a priest uh, as priest, you know, hearing hearing that that musical worship again. Was uh, was so beneficial to his priesthood, and, and to be honest with you, he he spoke of it often when he would give homilies. He would talk about the effect of the music on him, and even being a server for him, watching him offer the mass and assisting him with it. Uh, you know, he would often uh, just close his eyes when they were chanting, mm. like especially at the gradual, which is uh, the chant that takes place between uh, the the first reading, which is always from one of the prophets or from uh, you know Saint Paul the apostle, typically, and then. Uh, the gospel. So there's only two readings in the in the old form, but in mm-hmm. between it there's this chant that takes place, which is called the gradual, and uh, it's usually the most long and complex of chants. And uh, there's of course there's there's rich symbolism in this. I, I don't want to get too far off the track, but um, you know he uh, he would always he would stand at the middle of the altar and wait. It's, a, it's typically a five minute chant. It, mm-hmm. it takes quite some time, and he would close his eyes and pray. While while he listened to them chant the gradual, and it you could tell that uh, it was um, it it was so conducive to him to be able to pray right to to have this sung prayer taking place while he was internally right offering himself to the Father mm-hmm. in union with Christ the High Priest, and so you, you could see the, like a, a snapshot of his priesthood a little bit in that moment where he it's just him and the Lord yeah. you know, and uh, it it was beautiful for me to be able to see that, but it, it reinforced in me this. Uh, the value of this kind of spiritual music, right? That uh, that has its place in the liturgy. That is really, really conducive to prayer. And and I don't know if you have any, you either of you do this, but uh, you know, oftentimes when I'm at home, even when I'm like, giving the kids a bath or something, sometimes I'll just play Gregorian chant on my phone, oh, yeah. just yeah. because you know it. You can't help but pray yeah. when you listen to this music because it's it's very spiritual music. It's it's really good
0: uh, homily writing music. <laughs> <laughs> That too. (laughs) I'll often have it on when I'm uh,
1: writing homilies and really good to, yeah, I do that a lot. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. So yeah, that's kind of, I would say what people can expect for the, is, is the culture shock of course, but uh, the welcome is there. And, uh, you know, if, if I was going to give advice, you know, for, for somebody that's coming there for the first time, it would be, uh, you know, to just kind of sit back a little bit. Don't worry about, because that's the thing, you know, everyone's worried, uh, that they're not going to be doing things in unison with everyone else. Right. They're like, well, what's everyone else doing? I need to be doing that. And, uh, and the thing is everyone else is, um, it's not that they don't care that you're there. It's that they're, they're uni- uniting themselves with the Lord right now. Right. You know, and so it's not that they, they won't be distracted by you. You know, there are kids crawling all over. Oh, right? yeah. There's kids screaming. There's, uh you know, people not standing up when they should stand up and all this other stuff. Right. But no one cares about that. Yeah. No one even notices, to be honest with you. Uh, and that's because, you know, for them, they're, they're trying to commune with the Lord a little bit. And so I would tell people, you know, if you're comfortable just sitting and you just want to sit through it, feel free to sit through it. Yep. You know, and, and just kind of soak up this, uh, this opportunity to, uh, just be with the Lord for an hour, hour and 15. (laughs) I don't know if I've ever done it in just an hour. and I'm pretty fast. Yeah. It depends on your preaching time. Father. That's true. That's true. I am a short, short preacher. <laughs> yeah, if it was Father Monty, it'd be an hour and a half. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, that's really the advice I would give yeah. is that, you know, it's such a culture shock and you're going to be disoriented to begin with. You know, just take that opportunity to, and just soak up the, the chance to be yeah. with the Lord. Just you and him, you I know. I agree. And, you know, the, the skeleton of the
0: mass is, is exactly the same. So, you know, if you know the, the structure of the mass itself, you'll you'll know, okay, you know, this is probably where, you know, we're at a half hour mark. This is probably where the homily just finished. You know, the first thing happening after that, it's the creed. It's the yep. same thing. So really the structure is the the same. That's, that's just one of the things that surprised me about learning the mass was actually the structure is. Pretty much exactly the same yeah and that's really what actually even helped me um uh with the the canon the the uh eucharistic prayer is that it's really just the same as eucharistic prayer one mm-hmm. in, in the uh the ordinary form of the mass just in english and in latin um they just it's a straight translation so being able to go okay so then i know where i am here i know where i am here um so i think that's that was uh, one of my big surprises was it's actually not you know totally radically different, you know, Vatican Mm -hmm. II didn't just make, decide everything's different now, we're going to do everything (laughs) totally different, Um, no, it's, the structure is essentially the same, Mm -hmm. and um, so, so if you're following along, okay, you kind of know, okay, this is probably where we're at right now, when it's silent, okay, we know the priest is probably doing the Eucharistic prayer at this point, and and that's roughly where we're at, and that's, I think, you know, if, if we're praying the Mass, that's, that's what you need to know, and that's, that's about it. Yeah. And, then, and then let the Lord really take over from there.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and you're absolutely right. I mean, the structure is essentially the same. I would say the the biggest difference would be something that most newcomers wouldn't even notice, right? And that would be in the in the offertory prayers. Yeah, right, because yep. um, you know, and this is something that's done in silence. Right, and so it's just the the priest uh, praying those prayers. And yep. but to be honest with you, there's there's beautiful theological sentiments and in, in in prayers contained in that moment of the mass. And so those those prayers specifically are ones that I've memorized. Yeah, because they're so conducive uh, to me being able to offer myself to the Lord, right, yep. in union with the host, right, as part of the host, is mm-hmm. in pouring myself into the cup, right, and offering myself to Him. Uh, those prayers are just contain these beautiful sentiments. even Bishop Boyer. Uh, If you ask him what his favorite part of celebrating the old mass is, he'll tell you the offertory prayers. Yeah. Um, And but to be honest with you, a newcomer wouldn't even notice that because they're all set in silence and they're they're over relatively quickly. Yeah. (laughs) So, but they'll from their perspective, they'll see the same thing. You know, the priest will be there; he'll be lifting up the bread just like he would at the at the new mass, right? right. Blessed are you, God of our, you know, and Mm -hmm. so on. And then he would go and fill the cup and offer the cup to right to the outside observer. We're none the wiser. (laughs) Exactly the same. Yep. So, um,
0: I learned the extraordinary form of the mass in seminary. I I think um, one of the cool things that I got to do was I was in the very first class of guys who actually had a full, uh, I think it was two credit class on how to celebrate the Latin mass. And uh, uh, father Clint McDonald from the archdiocese of Detroit was taught the class. He was so good and really my expectation. So this is how I got into it. This is kind (laughs) of great. I, uh, I needed one more credit to graduate. I was short. (laughs) I was short one credit as everyone probably listening has already heard me say, I didn't like school very much. I was ready to get out. I did, I did college for 10 straight years after high school. I was done. Yeah. And, uh, so I, I needed one more credit to graduate. I'm like, all right, fine. And then I heard that they were starting this class. I'm like, oh, well that's kind of cool. I don't ever anticipate like ever celebrating the mass. Cause my Latin grades were awful. They were <laughs> terrible. I barely passed through Latin. So, um, so I'm like, well, you know, I'll learn about the mass and that'll be kind of cool, and you know, um, at the end I'll be able to celebrate it, I guess. But I don't ever anticipate actually doing it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then God laughed. And then God. <laughs> and then God laughed. But as I'm I'm taking this class and and uh, and I learned a lot. Um, Father Clint McDonald is a fantastic teacher, and I learned so much about. Um, the extraordinary form of the mass, but I, I learned an awful lot about, about the ordinary form of the mass, right? To, to understand the the mass we have now, it is critical to understand where we came from. And so to learn all of this. And so in the, in the, in the process of learning about the extraordinary form of the mass, um, that greatly had a, an influence on how I celebrate the mass now at every single mass, um, and so a lot of the elements that, that were in the, the extraordinary form I've brought into the, the ordinary form of the mass, the, the beautiful pieces that the small symbols that, that people probably wouldn't notice, yeah. but help connect me to what's happening right in front of me. And, and, and I love that, 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 uh, just the, the small pieces, even the, some of the prayers, um, I'll, I'll say them in Latin now. Um, in, in the ordinary form uh, just and, and this is coming from someone who struggled greatly in latin i got a d plus my third semester in latin my last semester i barely passed that's d for deacon right got it <laughs> this, got through this is a judgment-free zone by the way thank you <laughs> I, <yeah>. pre- <laughs> I appreciate that all of you listening too i, I hope <laughs> um but even even the latin has now helped me to to engage in in what's actually happening right in front of me so it's no longer this well i mean never was but um, it's it's providing a defense for me like just kind of coasting through. Yeah. You know? cause that's I think that's a very easy thing to do. When you celebrate as many masses, as I've celebrated, I'm over, let's see, sixteen hundred masses now. Actually I might be close to seventeen hundred masses at this point in my three and a half years as a priest. And, you know, that can be very easy to do is to start coasting. Mm-hmm. And and the elements that I've brought in really keep me grounded. What's happening right in front of me every single time I start to celebrate mass. Every time I'm, I get to the the offertory, um, mm-hmm. and and I and I love that. Um, maybe at some point in the near future, as I'm really getting to know the Latin Mass really well, um, I'll be able to do what uh, Father Mahdi did and and be able to just sit back and and really pray. The the offertory is still tough for me because I'm still thinking, okay, what do I got to do next? What mm-hmm. do I got to do next? I'm still working through that to to get to the point where I can really fully pray that Mass. Um, but, but I'm getting there and I'm, I'm really excited for it. And every time I celebrate that mass, I get more comfortable with it. And uh, I'm able to dive deeper into mm-hmm. the mass every time I celebrate it. I think the person who would go to that mass um, would experience it in the same way. Every time you go, you're able to dive in a little bit deeper into the mass. And um, it's a beautiful thing. The, yeah. the mass is just, there's nothing, it's nothing like it in the world. It's the most beautiful thing this side of heaven. It is. Well, it's... <laughs> It's the closest we get to heaven here. It's heaven and earth coming together in that moment. Mm -hmm. And there's there's nothing quite like it. Nothing quite
1: like it. It's uh, one, I can completely uh, share your sentiments because uh, to be honest with you, uh, whenever I go to the ordinary form now, uh, you know, it's the same to me. And so, you know, that, that kind of idea of transcendence and mystery and in, in those things, to be honest with you, right, as, as a human being, as, as a man, uh, this uh, perceiving the unseen reality of what's taking place, yeah. right, the, the, to me, the, the mystery and transcendence and the, all the veils and all the strange things, right, this, uh, that, I, that are not uh, worldly, if I could describe them that way, they're, right, they're, no, they're things that are not shared in common with my life and the world. And, uh, you know, that changes the way I perceive what's taking place, and that changes me in turn. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, when I go to the ordinary form, even though the form's different, right, it's in English, It's the guy's facing me, uh, the music isn't quite the same, and yet my uh, internally, right, I just close my eyes and I'm in the same place. Yeah. And I perceive and I'm I'm there with the Lord on Calvary the same way I was, you know, at the at the other one and it, and it taught me a great deal kind of like what you're saying, you know. And, and I think this was the vision of Pope Benedict the 16th. He actually speaks about this in Sumorum Pontificum, which is his 2007 uh, motu proprio which basically gave every priest of the Latin Rite Church the ability to to offer this mass kind of ad libitum, right? Mm-hmm. As he wills. Yep. And um uh, and his vision was that these two forms would enrich one another, right? That the the extraordinary form would enrich the ordinary, and the mentality of the ordinary form would enrich the That's extraordinary, right. right? And I would say that, you know, if you talk, like if I, I have a conversation with my grandparents, and of course they, they went to school in the 40s and 50s, and uh, you talk to them, and, the, and uh, what's interesting is uh, they're like... Um, they have the mentality that I have now, but that's because they were formed by that mass and then they came into the ordinary form, mm-hmm. right? Whereas I just had the ordinary form and I never had like that, like what you were talking about, this kind of historical background, right? Of where, where do we come from, right? The, and one thing that it kind of illustrates this a little bit is I was having a conversation with my grandma one day and uh, and I remember this was maybe in 2013 or so, it was right, very soon after I started going to this mass and I, I looked at her, and I said, Grandma, the Mass is a sacrifice. I never realized that before. Mm. She was like, what are you talking about? Of course it's a sacrifice. <laughs> now, and I was like, Grandma, I just never perceived it before. Yeah. I never saw what was, ha- what was happening. Yep. And she was like, how could you not see that? And, she, and of course, you know, kind of reflecting on that conversation I had with her a little bit, you know, thinking she had yep. 20 years of this. Right. And it was ingrained in her. Right. Whereas for me, uh, you know. That part isn't as obvious. Right. In the ordinary form, you know, you 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 perceive it's so much easier to perceive the element of the community together as body of Christ. Right. And in, in becoming one in the Lord and this this uh, element of communal worship and communal meal. Right. Sacrificial meal, mm-hmm. if you want to call it that. Uh, the la- It's much easier to see the Last Supper in the ordinary form yeah. is how I would describe it. Yep. In the ordinary form, it's like you see the Last Supper. In the extraordinary form, you see Calvary. Yeah. Right? And so having... But those two go together. That's right. You know? And so uh, what was amazing to me coming from having grown up with the ordinary form, right? Never knowing anything different. And then kind of being exposed to this for the first time. And it's like it puts new, you know, new glasses on in the in a sense, right? Yeah. That, oh, now I can see the ordinary form clearer. I see what's taking place. That it's... That it's not just the Last Supper, right? But it's the cross, and you know it's the Passion, death, resurrection, and ascension. And makes, in fact, one of the prayers in the Mass says that, right? Mm-hmm. And it makes commemoration that this is the, all of these acts together, right, offered to God. And in fact, if you're interested in all of the how all the symbols back that up. You know, like the signs of the cross, even the dipping of the particle into the Mm -hmm. chalice and so on. There's a great book called Nothing Superfluous, uh, which uh, kind of explains how uh, all of the tiny gestures that the priest is doing, all of them have theological meaning and weight behind them, right? They're not just there to look good. Right, they they have meaning, and so if you're if you're interested, if you want to nerd out a little bit, in other words, you know there there are a lot of uh, commentaries and in, in theological works about the symbolism of the mass because there's a great number of symbols, but oh, yeah, Yeah. so just to kind of echo your sentiments about how you know it changed the way you participate in the ordinary form, I would say mm-hmm. it, for me it's been exactly the same. Yeah, we've mentioned a few
0: uh, different resources throughout the course of the interview. Check out the show notes; we'll link them all there. Yeah, definitely. So any uh, as we come to the, the end of this, uh, the interview, um, why should everyone experience this Mass? Here's your time to pitch it. Yeah. Why should everyone experience this Mass? I believe everyone should experience this Mass. Uh,
1: why do you think everyone should experience it? I guess I'll give you from my personal experience why that's the case. And what I would say is, um, you know, this Mass has, uh, has really worked wonders for me spiritually. What I mean by that is, you know, when I was 19 in 2009, I had a had a conversion experience, uh, and it was with a, a Protestant guy. Actually, a, a um, he was uh, my mentor at work at Ford at the time. I went to catering, and uh, of course, we had a, a cooperative education program. So mm-hmm. I spent half my time at, at Ford Motor Company, uh, kind of applying my uh, pract in a practical sense my my studies, and so I had this mentor for uh, two years uh and he was a seventh day adventist so not a big fan of Catholic Church mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh you know I had this conversion experience with him I won't belabor the point by giving the whole story but uh and then you know for for a few years it was just I was in spiritual infancy right trying to try understand trying to read the scriptures trying to understand who God is right uh, trying to grow in virtue which is difficult for a young man as you might imagine. Um, especially one that had lived in the world as I had, right? Is, I, I identify greatly with St. Augustine in that sense, right? He, he talks about how his past sins haunted him, right? They left to, like, these scars, more or less, on, on his soul in the sense that uh, he, he always had these uh, weaknesses, you know, associated with his previous life and sin. And I would say that uh, it was difficult for me to make the transition as well. But then, you know, f- fast forward a little bit. I got married in, in 2012, and then very soon afterwards... Uh, I experienced this Mass, and of course, you know, I didn't like it the first time, so then I I stayed away for a little while, but I was drawn back by something, right? And of course, I I would argue that that was probably the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, because going to this Mass challenged me, right? It challenged me to kind of uh, take it to the next level, if you want to call it that. And and it really, I would say, over the years, kind of reflecting on, you know, seven years or so now of, of uh, kind of being at this Mass very often, right, if not all the time, uh, what it has done to me is that it has really enabled me uh, to unite myself to Christ in a, in a really more uh, profound way. And it has uh, strengthened my resolve to be entirely His. Right, and so, and I think that's kind of the spirituality of the mass in general is, um, you know, you're not going to this mass because it's harder. Uh, you're not going to it uh, because you just need to fulfill an obligation. Yeah. Right. It requires yeah. so much of you, and uh, and I would say that that had a had a profound impact on me, and it, it allowed me uh, to really be challenged. Right. To say, you know, it's it's not enough for you. Right to give me an hour on Sunday, mm, right? Yep. I need you to give me everything. You, I need you to be mine. And I would say that this, this Mass, of course, you can have that experience elsewhere, but for me personally, right, this Mass kind of challenged me in that way and allowed me, drew me more deeply into the sacrifice of Christ so that I, right, could pour myself out for him the way he poured himself out for me and the perception of being able to understand his sacrifice and live it right that you know that this the cross can be planted before me you know each time I go to mass mm-hmm. and that you know I can be there with him in during his agony and death and resurrection I can and you know, I can live that right in the present moment over and over and over again and it strengthens my resolve to to die with him right if we suffer with him we will also be glorified with him and so it's it's kind of uh enriched my spiritual life in the sense that, it, you know, it's drawn me into deeper prayer. It's uh, called me to be more radically the Lord's, right? And it's enabled me uh, to experience and pass on that kind of fire, that zeal, right? That zeal for God uh, that he's kind of cultivated in me by encountering me at this mass because it's, it's really, you know, him gazing at me and me kind of gazing back at him yeah. and uh, being able to try to pass that on to my daughters right? To try to give that to them. And this is the greatest gift I can give them, right? Is to be able to to encounter the Lord the way he's encountered me. And, and so, uh, yeah, if I, if I had to make a case, it would be, try it out because, uh, you know, you may be challenged. You may find the Lord, uh, in a place you don't expect. Oh yeah. Yeah.
0: So where can, uh, people find, uh, this group? Where can we find them? The masses? You have a
1: website? Yeah. Yeah. So you can, uh, visit our website at, uh, tlmflint.org. All right, Uh, and it's usually we've got all of our events and stuff posted on there. We've got a Twitter feed that you can find on the on the website. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that on Twitter. (laughs) Oh yeah, yeah. Go to the website, you'll see it. Yeah. Um, And then we've got a Facebook page. We post all of our events and stuff like that. Um, And uh, if you if you need resources on the mass or or anything like that, uh, there there's a Uh, feature on the website you can submit questions and stuff like that we've got a great uh, support staff uh, a couple of uh, families that help us out in terms of uh, answering people's questions providing uh, resources all that kind of stuff so if anybody's got any questions or anything like that feel free to reach out uh, through the website or anything else awesome
0: find it uh, three o'clock on sundays st matthews downtown is the mass so thanks for
1: joining us yeah no problem It was a pleasure to be here